0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Monday edition, the crisis in Ukraine intensifies as civilians seeking to flee the mayhem were reportedly target, targeted by Russian shelling. We've seen very credible reports of um, deliberate attacks on civilians, which would constitute uh, a war crime. Uh, We've seen very uh, credible reports about the uh, the use of certain weapons. We'll get the latest from Ukraine with a live report from CBN's senior international correspondent, George Thomas, in just a moment. And Americans are beginning, are being reminded of the conflict, not only by wall-to-wall coverage on cable news, but at the gas pump as well. The national average now over $4 per gallon, and it is expected to continue climbing.
2: The president's message is that he is going to do everything we can, everything he can, to reduce the
3: impact on the American people, including uh, the price of gas at the tank.
1: He's likely to do everything except what is needed. We'll talk with Texas Congressman August Pfluger about the remedy later here on Washington Watch. And in our Freedom Convoy segment today, the People's Convoy made it to D.C. over the weekend. We'll get a wrap-up on the convoy from Claire Dooley. Reporter with CHD TV. And here is some news you'll like. 14 state attorneys general led by Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita have filed another lawsuit against the Biden administration. The Biden administration is refusing to respond to a Freedom of Information Act request regarding the collusion between the Biden administration and the National School Boards Association, which, as you'll recall, labeled parents as domestic terrorists. We'll talk with Attorney General Rokita later. On Washington Watch. And finally, FRC's Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies, joins me with some more potentially good news out of Virginia in the effort to push back on the left's crusade to confuse the children in the classroom. All that and more coming up on this edition of Washington Watch. If you miss anything, you know where to find it. Tony Everything's archived right there. The verse for today from our two-year Bible reading plan, Stand on the Word, is Leviticus 18.5. Keep my statutes and ordinances. A person will live if he does them. I am the Lord. God, in his grace and mercy, tells us that yielding to the Word brings life, whereas accommodating the prevailing culture is a progressive path that leads to devastating consequences for individuals, Families and for nations. To join us on this journey through the Bible, you can go to frc.org/slash Bible and download the reading program. You can also join me each morning at 8:44 Eastern Time for a daily devotional based upon the reading for the day. You can find that on my Facebook page or at tonyperkins.com. Also, prayer points there. For our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. All right. Speaking of Ukraine, Ukrainian officials said today that a third round of negotiations ended without a breakthrough and only small progress on evacuation logistics. Meanwhile, Russia stepped up increasingly indiscriminate assaults on civilian targets and infrastructure, stoking fears that thousands of Ukrainians could die in the coming days unless something changes. Joining me now to talk about the latest developments in Ukraine is CBN Senior International Correspondent George Thomas, who is live in Ukraine. George, welcome back to the program.
4: Thank you so much, Tony, for having me back on the show. I appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you for staying up late. I know it's late there, local time. Can you tell us more about what came out of today's talks?
4: Uh, Yeah, absolutely nothing. I mean, again, the the, the Kremlin comes to Zelensky and says, uh, you need to disarm, you need to Uh, stop uh, uh, allowing weapons from uh, NATO countries from pouring in. You need to stop uh, uh, international foreign uh, fighters coming into the country. The reports are uh, close to about 140,000 Ukrainians, uh, mostly men, have uh, poured across the uh, Slovenia, the Hungarian, the the, the Polish borders in the last 12 days. Uh, And, uh, you know, the Ukrainian embassy in Washington, D.C., Tony said, uh, close to about 3,000 uh, Americans have signed up uh, and, and are, uh, on, are either here or are on their way uh, to Ukraine as part of uh, uh, the initiative by the Zelensky administration to allow foreign uh, fighters to come into, into the country and uh, stand shoulder to shoulder with their Ukrainian, uh, with their Ukrainian counterparts. So, um, but look, the, the, we've, we have 12 days into this uh, invasion, and uh, Russia is losing this war. Uh, I mean, they had uh, envisioned uh, within a few uh, hours, 24 to 48 hours, that they would lay siege uh, to Kiev, the capital city, uh, that they would take uh, a good chunk of the eastern part of the country, uh, take the southern part of the country, uh, take the northeastern quadrant of the country. And uh, today, uh, almost three, two and a half weeks into this war, uh, Invasion, they uh, they are stuck, literally stuck in the mud, uh, in uh, in the northern parts of uh, of Kiev.
1: So, George, let me ask you this question: As you have these uh, foreign, uh, and, and they're heavily being screened, so these are legitimate uh, individuals with skills and training that can help the Ukrainian forces. Uh, is there sufficient material to uh, equip them when they arrive there in Ukraine?
4: Uh, Yes. I mean, look, since uh, the the last eight years, uh, since uh, Russia invaded back in 2014 in the eastern part of the country, uh, the Ukraine of uh, 2014 is very different from the Ukraine of 2022. Uh, I mean, they've gotten a lot more weapons uh, in the last eight years. They've beefed up uh, their their ability to defend themselves and go on the offensive. Uh, the New York Times reporting that the uh, the U S has uh, given them close to about seventeen thousand uh, anti tank uh, missiles. The Pentagon uh, reporting uh, releasing information that as early as last December uh, they were sending in uh, the kinds of weapons needed for Ukrainians to wage uh, uh, potentially uh, an urban warfare uh, in this country. You know, this weekend, uh, Tony, I had a chance to go to an undisclosed location uh, uh, away from Lviv uh, to get a sense of what was going on outside of Lviv. And, uh, you know, I took a number of major uh, roads. And along those major roads, uh, you know, there are these uh, offshoots to different small little villages Uh, uh, Throughout this part of the country, and every single one of those um, uh, turns, either to the left or to the right, uh, was uh, you know they had uh, put up sand sandbags, they had erected uh, concrete slabs, and at each one, I mean, I saw dozens of them. At each one of them, there were civilians. Uh, who were armed, uh, many of them armed with AK 47s and other weapons. Uh, but uh, the, the sense, and in fact, coming into Lviv, coming from the outside, coming into the city, there are major, major checkpoints, uh, choke points necessarily ringing the, the city. And they are heavily uh, barricaded. Uh, you've got to go zigzag. Uh, through them, there are people that are checking your ID to see if you, uh, you know, A, you're, you're a resident of the city, why you're coming to the city. If you're not a resident of the city, uh, they are building structures. They're digging trenches. Uh, look, this is a city that is very far away, you know, about six hours by train from the capital city, Kiev, has not seen any action uh, to speak of. Uh, apart from, for example, the, 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 the missile strike on the uh, airport, the civilian airport, about five hours, four and a half hours south of us uh, in um, uh, Viznati. Uh, but apart from that, uh, we haven't seen any action yet. It is a city that is tantamount to a city on on a war footing, and they are not right. taking any chances uh, whatsoever. Uh,
1: George, the office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights has confirmed uh, 406 civilians killed in Ukraine since uh, Russian uh, President Vladimir Putin's invasion began. Another 800 uh, plus of civilians were injured as of midnight Sunday, according to the office, noting that fighting has stymied accurate reporting and the numbers are actually higher. What have you been hearing there on the ground from your sources?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Because you see, I mean, I have I have a colleague uh, uh, who made a daring trip to Erpin uh, in the last 24 hours to rescue her son. Uh, You've seen the images. Erpin sits just about northwest of uh, Kiev and they, uh, Erpin is to the northwest, Sumy is to the northeast, and uh, they have been shelling uh, these two cities, incredibly for the last 24 48 hours and it's just been unbelievable uh, they're not going after military structures uh, you're talking high rise apartment uh, complexes they're going after hospitals they're going after churches they're going after schools uh, you know we're not talking about the gaza strip i was in the gaza strip when 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 uh, 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 hamas was using uh, civilian structures, hospitals, schools, mosques. Uh, they were using civilians as shields. Uh, this is not the same situation here. There is absolutely no evidence that Ukrainian soldiers are hiding in churches, are hiding in hospitals, are hiding in schools, are hiding in high-rise apartment buildings. Absolutely no evidence to, to, uh, to this. So uh, the question that the uh, International Criminal Court is asking is, why is Russia? Are the attacks against these civilian structures tantamount to war crimes? Uh, Prime Minister uh, of UK uh, Boris Johnson says in his mind, there is no doubt uh, that Vladimir Putin is uh, uh, um, uh, 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 is an, is in essence charged with, uh, with war crimes. He's accusing him of committing war crimes by going after uh, these structures. I think my sense here, Tony, is that you see a desperation uh, on the part of the Kremlin. They have made no significant advances. Okay, look, they, they have the northern part of Kiev, surrounded. Uh, They have Kherson in the south, a very strategic city. They have encircled uh, Mariupol, another very strategic city. They haven't taken the city uh, as of right now. Uh, They are continuing their advances, uh, attempts at advancing in the eastern part of the country. But the Ukrainians are putting up a very, very stiff fight. And in places where, which is actually remarkable, in places where, like, for example, in Kherson and Mariupol, where they are surrounded, and in some cases they've taken over, like, for example, in Kherson, thousands of Ukrainians are coming out and confronting these Russian soldiers and waving the Ukrainian blue and yellow flag in the face of these Russian soldiers. I mean, it's incredible. Talk about defiance. Uh, Again, the sense that you cannot... Subjugate
1: us. And it starts clearly. Well, it starts clearly at the top. President Zelensky has shown uh, tremendous courage and boldness in the face of this invasion. Final question. We're almost out of time, George. I do thank you for joining us. But one of the reasons we like to come to you is because you understand not only what's happening there on the ground in terms of the military, but spiritually, uh, the well-being of the church this weekend. Churches met. Give us a sense of what's happening in the church there in Ukraine.
4: Yeah, they are, talk about, uh, Tony, totally talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus. They have, churches have uh, basically turned every square inch of their uh, of their uh, structure into a shelter uh, of a Christian homes. People are opening up their homes, uh, churches, hospitals, um, rather uh, offices uh, uh, and restaurants. Uh, the, people are just opening up their homes to complete strangers. I did a story just a few days ago on a young 22-year-old girl, who lives in this tiny Christian Ukrainian Christian lives in a tiny tiny apartment with her brother and she invited five complete strangers who had been, who had fled from Kyiv and they're staying with her her mother has about 24 people in her home uh, this is the spirit of Ukraine uh, the sense that in the middle of fighting a battle they're also opening their homes and being in the hands of Jesus and, uh, to and those that's the church
1: there. that's the role of the church George Thomas we're out of time Thank you so much for joining us. We pray for your safety as well as our brothers and sisters throughout Ukraine. I appreciate it. Folks, stick with us. On the other side of the break, Congressman Pfluger joins us from Texas. Don't go away.
5: Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily Scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God. And he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square.
2: to six seven seven
1: four two. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. Remember the website TonyPerkins.com. Yesterday, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said the U.S. is considering a ban on Russian oil imports.
0: We are now in, uh, in very active discussions with our European partners
1: uh, about banning the, uh, the import of Russian oil uh, to our countries, while, of course, at the same
0: time, maintaining a steady uh, global supply of, uh, of oil.
1: That was Secretary Blinken yesterday on Meet the Press. But administration officials said today that no decision has been made at this time calls for a full embargo have been growing in volume as russia continues its invasion of ukraine republicans joined by some democrats point out that uh, exempting russia's single largest industry provides moscow with hundreds of millions of dollars in cash revenue each day each day from the european union the united states and the united kingdom joining now to talk more about this is uh, congressman august Pfluger who is a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee and ranking member on the House Committee on Homeland Security, on uh, the Subcommittee on uh, Intelligence and Counterterrorism. He represents the 11th Congressional District of Texas. I said he was uh, coming to us from Texas. He is actually in D.C., but he represents a good chunk of Texas. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Well, Tony, thank you very much uh, for having me today. Let me ask you this. Are you encouraged that a ban on Russian oil is now in consideration?
6: Well, I'll be encouraged when it actually happens. And then my question for the administration is, what are you waiting on? You know, how many nuclear power facilities have to be attacked? How many thousands of Ukrainians have to be killed? How many horrific images do we have to watch in the country of Ukraine, Uh, the shelling, the artillery, the bombing? I mean, what What's it going to take? I mean, this needs to happen now. And, you know, the the press secretary made a comment uh, maybe a day or two ago saying something to the effect of, you know, we have to be concerned about the global supply of oil, because if we limit that supply by placing an embargo or, or, um, you know, doing something with the Russian supply, that it may drive prices up. Well, I'd like to say that they started that on January 20th of last year when they took office, that they did something to the global supply because they're full on assault against our own domestic production has limited supply throughout the world. Uh, and, and now it's time to be strong, uh, to reverse course, uh, and to help the Ukrainians out by not putting pocket money into the pocket of Putin.
1: Yeah, I mean we've we've uh, well I say we I don't want to use that word too generally. It, this administration has put us into this situation as you pointed out with their domestic production policies. We now are in this bind. Now you have introduced legislation uh, entitled Midland over Moscow returning a focus on domestic oil production, explain. Well,
6: that's exactly right. Midland over Moscow is not just some catchy phrase. It actually gets us back to energy dominance. And it does three things. Number one is it focuses on domestic production. It unleashes the innovation that we have right here. I represent the Permian Basin, but there's plenty of producing regions in the United States that we can get back to energy dominance. Number two is it requires the White House to come up with an energy security plan. What is their plan to make our energy not only good for our domestic use, reliable, affordable, but also how does it help our partners and our allies? And number three, it opens up market access by cutting the bureaucratic red tape throughout the world and allowing us to export that product where it needs to go to, again, provide that reliability. Energy security is national security. Midland over Moscow puts our own domestic energy front and center in the world stage, and I truly believe we wouldn't be in this
1: situation had the administration done this. I think you're 100 percent correct, Congressman Fluger. I mean, this is this is really not difficult to figure out. I mean, we we have cut off domestic production. We were at a point uh, in the last administration of energy independence. First time in uh, in, and really as far back as I can remember when I worked in the oil field in Oklahoma, that we were producing oil to the degree that we were export, exporting it. Now we're dependent upon Russian oil. The president having conversations. Well, the administration having conversations with Venezuela, and now the president may travel to Saudi Arabia, making us dependent once again upon Middle Eastern oil.
6: You know, at what point in time is the administration going to learn the lesson? We don't need Iranian oil, Russian oil. We don't need OPEC to be producing more. We have what we need right here, and we can do the job better and cleaner than anybody else. You know, just a couple of short weeks ago, I was in Ukraine. On a congressional delegation, had the chance to meet with senior leaders, including President Zelensky, and we talked about energy security. He said he did not believe that we would be in this situation if the Nord Stream Project did not exist. I mean, think about what that statement is. That energy security is such a degree of national security that the president of Ukraine did not think that we would be in a situation that his country would be invaded by Putin. We don't need to be brokering deals with Iran or Venezuela or any other malign actor. We've got what we have right here. We need to focus on domestic energy production. That's what Midland over Moscow represents.
1: Well, just uh, this afternoon, uh, Gas Buddy came out and identified that we now have reached the highest level ever for uh, gasoline, just slightly eclipsing uh, what we had back in 2008. Uh, now, Congressman, we can't flip a switch and get the production rolling to address this current crisis today. What's the timeline? If the president and the administration were to get it right, begin domestic production, how long would it take us to get out of this bind?
6: Well, the production is, uh, you know, in the Permian Basin, for instance, is actually at a really good level. But, but the problem is that the facilities, the pipelines, I mean, there are plenty of pipelines that the Biden administration uh, has refused to certify. They've weaponized some of the agencies and departments, and they won't certify them. So getting that product to the ports, to the Gulf Coast, to the East Coast, to the Atlantic, so that it can then be shipped over, that's going to take time. It's going to take time to build those facilities. We need to cut the red tape. and and start planning and permitting export terminals in this country. That will take several years. I mean, you have to imagine that's two to three years from the time that you say, yes, we're going to do it to the time that it actually gets built, maybe even longer. So reversing course is a step-by-step process, but we need to take that first and most important step right now. Uh,
1: But but even with that, you know, the oil prices, a lot of it is driven by speculation, should just the fact that America is making the right policy decisions is going to take a little bit of the edge off as people realize there is a solution uh, down the road. Congressman, we're up against a break. Always great to talk with you. Thank you for your leadership on uh, Capitol Hill. Tony, thank you. Great to see you, and thank you for getting this story out. All right, absolutely. All right, coming up, the trucker-led People's Convoy is in Washington, D.C., in the metro area. We'll get the latest from a reporter who has been traveling with the convoy from the very start. Stay tuned. We're back with more Washington Watch right after this. (music)
8: A stand defending freedom. Convoy. You're
1: listening to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. Well, the trucker-led people's convoy arrived in D.C. in the metro area over the weekend and uh, continued its peaceful—we underscore peaceful—demonstration by uh, circling around the D.C. Beltway for hours yesterday and again to today. You know, this is uh, one of the reasons. And I've 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 talked to people all across the country who have uh, watched um, the convoys come through their communities, standing on the bridges, and 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 they just described it as a great patriotic event. I mean, they said it was you know people were it was a celebratory environment. Um, you know, everybody just got along. It was just a great event. We've talked to you've heard on here on the program people who are a part of the convoy, and and I say all that to say I was reading an article this weekend by NBC News. Okay, NBC News, uh, Ben Collins, and he writes about uh, the American offshoot of the Freedom Convoy that brought chaos to Canada's capital is promising to stop traffic outside of Washington, D.C. on Saturday. This was written actually on Friday. Uh, But exact plans remain plans remain vague Friday as the group hit its last pit stop in Maryland. Then he goes on in the third paragraph to say, according to extremism researchers following the movement. The convoy now consists of several dozen tractor-trailer trucks and hundreds of cars. And he goes throughout the whole article uh, quoting this researcher of extremism you know, to suggest that these God-fearing, American-loving patriots who have taken time out of their schedules, their busy schedules, their livelihoods, to make a statement for freedom are somehow extremist. This is why people do not trust the media. And, folks, this is why you shouldn't listen to the mainstream or the legacy media. Well, joining us uh, today in our special Freedom Convoy segment, I have Claire Dooley. She is a reporter with uh, CHD-TV who has been with the convoy since day one reporting on the movements. Claire, welcome back to Washington Watch.
9: Hi, Tony. Thanks for having me.
1: All right, tell us uh, what this experience has been like. You know, you've crossed the country with this uh, convoy.
9: Yeah, so from the beginning, I didn't really know what to expect, um, obviously being sent out with a bunch of truckers. But uh, I was quickly and, and joyfully surprised at, at how kind and good these men are. These men are, are, are family uh, family men, they're fathers, they're, they're small business owners. And for them, they care about freedom but they also care about freedom for everyone. It doesn't matter who it, who it is and if they believe what they believe or not. Um, it's about having freedom of speech and, and uh, bodily autonomy and sovereignty of the self. So we started in Alonso, California and all along the way, I've never felt more safe or cared for by a group of men in my entire life. And so it's been an absolute joy to travel across the country and see all the people coming out to lift up these truckers and the people's convoy and bring them to D.C. where they are now. Uh,
1: So given what you've seen firsthand of the people coming out, you've seen the people of the convoy, you've seen that all of this has been peaceful. Uh, It's been, you know, kind of like a 4th of July parade, moving all the way across Mm -hmm. the country. What do you think about the legacy media and how they're covering this?
9: I've never been more shocked at the difference and what the media is saying versus what's actually going on here. So all of the people here care about freedom. And, and most of them will tell you that they don't care if it's about they're not they're not exactly pro-Trump or anti-vax. These people just care about freedom. And and the news is is um, calling them QAnon mythology funded right. or, uh, you know, pro-Trump, pro-anti-vax, you know, uh, dangerous white supremacist. And here I see people of all colors, all walks of life. Uh, all ages, families, children, um, young people, old people. And, and everyone here has, has been so peaceful and so um, precise in what they want. And, and now that we've landed in D.C., I think a lot of the media kind of expected the convoy to just jump in and cause, cause mayhem and traffic. And, and that's not their intentions. And so the organizers have really been very diligent in how they move forward. And, and making sure that they take their time, they play things out right, and, and they get, they accomplish what they started off to do. But the goal is not to cause division. It's to, to unite people under one cause. And so it's really beautiful to see that moving through these different cities.
1: And speaking of that, in D.C., they've, I've seen unprecedented security in D.C. Uh, beginning last weekend, they had... Uh, you know, the, uh, the buses and the snowplows blocking exits, police everywhere. It was a nightmare trying to move through the city. I mean, w- what has been the response among the convoy in terms of the what D.C. has done in preparation for them?
9: So everyone in the convoy, once again, has a common goal, and they want their voices to be heard. And so for the past two days, instead of jumping in, the entire convoy has been riding around the, the beltway, which surrounds D.C. And so yesterday, the lead truck of the beltway, on the beltway, reached the end of the route, which was the beginning for some people. And the convoy stretched all the way around the entire beltway, which was 63 miles long. And so these guys, once again, are being cautious. They don't want anyone to get arrested. They don't want another January 6th on their hands. Right. And so they're, right. they're being very cautious moving forward.
1: Yeah, it, it, I, I, well, it speaks for itself. All the way across the country, it has been a very peaceful, patriotic move movement, just celebrating freedom and saying, look, respect our freedom. And I applaud the truckers and all of those involved uh, in the convoy. Claire, thanks so much for joining us. Great to talk with you.
9: Thank you sir, so much, Tony.
1: All right. You know, I, I wonder... If things might have been different had they responded to Black Lives Matter and Antifa when they were burning the city back in the summer of 2020, couldn't find the police then almost. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk to the Attorney General of Indiana, Todd Rokita. He's next here on Washington Watch.
8: Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications.
10: Visit FRC.org slash internships to apply.
1: Welcome back. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Website is TonyPerkins.com. Fourteen states are suing the Biden administration. This is like uh, over and over. Uh, We're seeing this. Well, this time it's over its refusal, the Biden administration's refusal to provide the communications that preceded the infamous October 4th Department of Justice memo targeting concerned parents across the nation. Well, since the release of that memo, it was revealed that the White House worked together with the National School Boards Association, which equated the pushback from concerned parents as a form of domestic terrorism. With me now to talk about the 14-state effort and to get some answers uh, in their effort to get the answers is uh, the one leading it, Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita. General Rokita, welcome back to the program.
0: Hey, thanks, Tony.
1: So um, should we be surprised you using the Freedom of Information Act request to find just ask the administration, give us the record, show us what happened, come forth with it, and they're saying nothing, Right.
0: Yeah, nothing after five months, you know, and, and initially I didn't use anything that any citizen or, or person in this country could use the freedom of information laws to understand um, what the relationship was between the Department of Justice and the National School Boards Association uh, in terms of this, number one, at the end of September, the School Boards Association calling the parents of this country who simply are caring about the raising of their children, in this case, vis-a-vis what curriculum they are being taught in their public school, um, and calling them domestic terrorists for it. And then five days later, now think about this, Tony, five days later, the Department of Justice coming out with a memo to um, federal prosecutors, FBI, and how to work with local law enforcement to, in fact, go into school board meetings or, or at least monitor them in some way. Uh, to see, you know, what acts these parents were doing in furtherance of domestic terrorism. Um, now, it, as you know, Tony, the federal government doesn't do anything in five days. Uh, <laughs> so the uh, the obvious connection here is that it was probably pre coordinated.
1: Well, uh, and and, fact- I mean, it looks it, when I saw the. Letter from the National School Boards Association and the precise language used in referencing various statutes, including the Patriot Act, all these other provisions that almost no one would know told me they were being coached by somebody.
0: Right, right. And, you know, but let's be honest about it. I always do honest investigations. I want to know what the facts are. So tell us the facts. Ignoring me and, and 13 other states now. Uh, for five months thinking that we're just gonna get bored and go away, uh isn't gonna it isn't not gonna is not gonna be the final result here. So what we did, uh because what they what their inaction has amounted to was uh a violation of the Freedom of Information Act laws is so we filed suit. And we what we expected to get is a court order of uh, forcing them to divulge these communications. Now to be clear, we're not asking for any particular investigation or anything like that, which they would easily uh Comment in response and say, hey, this is exempt from FOIA because it's an inactive investigation. We're, acting, we're asking for the communications leading up to the issuance of Mayor Garland's DOJ memo uh, to law enforcement. And because of some enterprising, uh, thankfully, some enterprising parents who, who grouped together and asked for uh, a, a different Freedom of Information Act request, I believe. Got an email or two. I think probably by mistake. I don't think the government was right. Was was thinking they wanted to give it up, but actually giving us an indicia of of of, of evidence, uh, a little bit of evidence showing that there was uh, right. at least some communication. And from that, uh, the these like-minded attorneys general, and thankful for each one of them and the states who have joined in this effort, uh, have 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 broadened. Uh, and, and, and with more force, have asked for this information. So we're going to get it one way or the other, and it's it, it should be very chilling to every American that your federal government would coordinate with an outside group this way, basically an association, maybe uh, of school of school board members, to 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 put a chill a chill on right. parents from simply being concerned about what they were being ta- what their kids were being taught in school.
1: So I want to unpack that for just a moment, General Rakita, because you know someone's saying, "Look, what do you expect from this administration? They've done uh, they've done this kind of stuff from the beginning." You know, let let's move on. I mean, we're we're now watching the world implode over in Ukraine uh, because of bad policy choices by this administration. We're paying uh, you know over four dollars a gallon for gasoline because of bad policies from this administration. But it's important that we establish what occurred here. Uh, so explain that to our viewers and listeners.
0: So we, what we want is to make sure that this doesn't happen again, number one. We want accountability. We want transparency. We want, and every taxpayer and citizen, <laughs> that's my, our oldest son who just walked in uh, working from home today, uh, uh, He, we want transparency. We want accountability. We want to make sure every American understands to what extent this communication or collusion or whatever C word you want to use uh, was being done against regular people who were going to a school board meeting because they were, they they cared about their kids. That, that, if we find what we, what we fear we might find, um, that should raise the hair on the back of all of our necks, because at that point, really, you know, we're talking about Russia and, and its yeah. aggression. We're no different than the Soviet Union at that point.
1: Absolutely, because we've already seen that the National School Boards Association apologized for the memo and backed away from it. But the administration did not back away from their direction in terms of beginning to target and track these parents. So this is ongoing.
0: That, that's true. That's a great point, Tony. Mayor Garland, Department of Justice, has not have not rescinded that memo. All right. So they're throw, they're 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 putting in their, basically their middle finger up in our face and saying, no, we'll do what we want. And, and it's got to stop. If we are going to be a country that abides by the rule of law, that means the government is subject to us. You know, this isn't this isn't uh, an oligarch situation. This isn't a king situation where we're subjects to the court of the king's court. We, the people. Are supposed to be over our government. The only thing over us, two things over us, really are the rule of law and, above all else, God. Right,
1: right. Well, General Rakita, I want to thank you for not giving up because you are uh, you're on all of these. Uh, We've seen uh, a number of lawsuits. You've been a key part of each one of them, and as we say down south, it's like, I mean, you're on this administration like white on rice. I mean, you're just all over it, and we're grateful for it and want you to, uh, to continue to fight for our freedoms and our rights.
0: Yeah, I know. It's all coming at us, and we think, oh, we get desensitized to it. But it's really your attorneys general in, in like-minded states that are making sure that none of this gets forgotten
1: absolutely and uh, and we stand with you thanks so much for being with us today and, and folks i think this is this is where your voice comes in just like the 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 trucker convoy the trucker led convoy there were a lot of cars motorhomes and others in that convoy people expressing their concern over what's happening in america and their desire to protect and retain and reclaim our freedom and people who were standing i talked to some folks who were standing on the the overpasses over the weekend as the convoys came through and and they described it as a great patriotic moment whatever we have we need to use to preserve what we've been given and, uh, and that's why i'm grateful for the number of republican attorneys general that we have that are challenging this administration at every turn and they're doing some good work and they're having success as well and so these are where uh, to underscore these local elections, how important they are. Don't negate, don't neglect the down ballot elections and make sure you're looking at uh, who's running for attorney general. Obviously, governor is important. Secretary of State is oftentimes they're the election officers in the state. And, of course, state legislatures and such. Don't just get caught up in the big federal elections. State elections matter. Well, speaking of states, uh, on Thursday, the Virginia Supreme Court agreed to hear the case of Peter Fleming, a uh, high school teacher, fired for avoiding the use of personal pronouns to refer to one of his students. The teacher had made a good faith effort to respect the student's beliefs while not violating his own by politely using her chosen name and avoiding using pronouns when possible. But that wasn't enough for the school superintendent. Peter was fired. Well, the Supreme Court now in Virginia is taking up that case. Joining me now to talk about this and more is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. Meg, welcome back to the program.
3: Thanks, Tony. It's great to be here.
1: All right. So I just want to make sure everybody's clear uh, on on this. This isn't about the teacher continuing to use a female pronoun uh, to refer to the student. Uh, he agreed, look, I'll, I'll use the new name that this student is going to uh, to go by, but I cannot be a part of this make-believe uh, game and use the pronouns that are biologically incorrect.
3: That's right. And uh, Mr. Vlaming was a French teacher, and we know that nouns are gendered in French, and they are female or male, so um he in addition to being a wonderful person and a and a believer he um simply couldn't go along with this farce of calling a girl a boy. He agreed to use the name that she had chosen uh but she he he couldn't call this person by the wrong pronouns, and we are really glad that the Supreme Court has taken up this case. One would think by, if you read the bios and see the ratings that we have a leans Republican Supreme Court in Virginia. But as we know in these, these cases that involve sexuality issues, gender issues, any kind of issue that relates to the human fam- family, um, a lot of times we, we're disappointed with results. So we need to pray for these, this decision and I, I'm hopeful that it will go our way But you never
1: know. Um, He is being represented by Alliance Defending Freedom that has uh, a pretty good track record there in Virginia on these types of cases. We're grateful for them and the work that they're doing uh, for teachers. They were very involved there in Loudoun County. Um, So we will. We'll watch this case very closely, praying that it does go the right direction. I, I was talking earlier about how the legacy media has portrayed the people's convoy and the, the freedom convoys that have been going across the country, you know, referring to them, um, tracking them through uh researchers who track extremism uh, to try to paint them in that light. You know, we've talked about this. I think last time you were on, we were talking about an article that was uh, portraying parents getting involved in education as being, you know, threats that they, you know, have forced people to get security and all of these hateful emails and such. Well, it's it's interesting. There's another story out of the AP. And, and folks, if you think I am against the the, the legacy media – then you're right. I mean, I let me just say, full candor, I used to be a reporter. Uh, years ago, I was a television reporter and was a defender. In fact, if you go back and read my first book, excuse me, Meg, I'm getting on my soapbox here for just a moment, but in my first book, Personal Faith, Public Policy, I defended even CNN because there was a time when the media was fair and balanced. But, Meg, as we've seen now, they're not any longer. In this AP story, which I know you've read as well, uh, is speaking in glowing terms of a handful of parents who are trying to counter this wave, this tsunami of parents who are saying enough is enough of this crazy gender confusing curriculum in the classrooms, and they're who they've belittled at every turn the media has, and now they're trying to puff up these who are trying to stop the banning of these books, like Heather has two mommies and and so on and so forth.
3: Well, it shows you how much work they have to do to deny the truth, that they have to unleash the Department of Justice and all of publishing and these um, sort of astroturf moms groups like, um, uh, red wine and blue—a uh, group for suburban moms who are for pornography in the library. Apparently, um, it's it's amazing the the lengths that they have to go to to respond when parents stand up. It shows you the power that parents have, and the fact that um, that even with everything arrayed against us in the halls of power from the current administration to many school boards are incredibly progressive and don't share the values of parents, to the legacy media, and this AP article is a classic example. Even with all of those things lined up against us, um, parents still can make a difference, and they still have to fight us.
1: And, and, And parents are making a difference, and that's the point, is the media is doing everything to dissuade them and discourage them by when they do report it, on what these parents are doing. It's negative, but when they report on this minuscule counter voice, as you said, those moms for pornography in the, uh, the libraries, they speak of them in glowing terms. I mean, bottom line is, Meg, you're seeing it. You're out there training parents to run for school boards. You're equipping them to get FOIA requests. This is a movement, and now is not the time to back up. Change is in the air if we simply will not give up.
3: It absolutely is. We are, we are hearing every day from people who want to run for their school board and are looking for help to do so, and we're really excited to provide that help. We hear from school board members who are serving on school boards, and maybe they're in the minority of votes, but they want to speak out more and make it harder for the progressive majority on their school boards to do these unconscionable things. And so we're providing them with resources to help them, and the more parents can encourage those people in their own communities, when when a school board member sticks their neck out and says, you know, I think we ought to take these books out of the library, these ha- right. shouldn't be here, they stand need parents them. backing them up, stand with Absolutely. them, send, call their office and say thank you, send Meg, them encouraging emails.
1: Meg, we've got to leave it there. We're out of time, but we're going to talk a lot more about this. Folks, thanks so much for joining with us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words. The Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and when you've taken your stand,
0: by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action.